listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBTQ plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Stuart and Simon who featured in a previous series of our podcast and they've come back to update us on how, how things are going. Hi both of you. Hello. Hi Tor. Well, it's lovely to have returning guests. We didn't put you off last time. Yes, it's, it's great to be back. It feels like a lot that has happened. Oh, well, I'm, that's what I'm dying to hear about. It's lovely to have somebody back and to hear about how it's gone. Can you tell us very briefly about your story that you told us before and where we last left you, if that's okay? Yeah, so um, we we adopted our children in August 2020. 20. I had to think about the years then with, with COVID. <laughs> I know. Forgetting the name of the number of the year is really easy. Um, but it was August 2020 and we had a bit of a, a challenging start. We had uh, situations where uh, we were effectively taking our son away from the first safe place he'd ever known um, and moving in, in here. So we'd had problems with uh, with his ad- adjustment. But um, we were starting to... To get there, um, last time we spoke to you, um, we were getting a bit more level and a bit more normal, um, and that that's really continued, I think, over the last the last six or nine months since we spoke to you last. I think. Mm. Yeah. So I guess in the six or nine months, that honeymoon period, I suppose, probably ended, and then things have gone through other changes. Is that is that right, or was it difficult right at the beginning, and it's improved in a fairly steady way? I would say we never had a honeymoon period. Okay. Yeah, because um, yeah, uh, when we was going through all our trainings, it was they kept talking about this wonderful honeymoon period, and we were sat there waiting for it, and we never had it. But I think, in a way, that that helped us. I th- I think the challenges we had is we adopted along with thousands or however many hundreds of adopters around the UK in unprecedented times. Yes. Um, you know, we, we couldn't meet our support networks. We couldn't engage with people. It it was just situations that we was never trained for. So in one aspect, I think that helped us because the bond we have with our kids now is in, you just can't measure it. But equally, we never had that honeymoon period where we could utilize our support network to come in and say look we we are struggling and I think one thing I'd say to your listeners is one thing we did is it we did get to one point crisis point in and we kind of said we just can't do this and we mentioned it to our social worker and then we had child psychologists and then we started getting online support which really helped us to understand our children better because we, although we couldn't have professionals face-to-face, when we stuck our head above the parapet, which is one thing we say to any prospective adopters, is you must do, that the support suddenly came and they adapted the changing climate to meet our needs. So we was doing lots of things on Teams and other social media networks to get that support. What did you learn from that support that was useful? You know, I, I think, Tor, that the first thing that was really important was that the support was for us, not the children. Yeah. So it was it was helping us to help the kids. Um, and that was really important because they need to feel safe and secure and that we can 
look after them and manage them. So it was giving help. And we, we ended up with, with 12 sessions over the course of a year with a, a child psychologist and support at school with an educational psychologist. But we, we learned a lot about therapeutic parenting and pace parenting without going down the you have to be playful and you have to be in, you know, empathetic and you have to be curious and all of that. It, it was about the way that you deal with the children without forcing it. It was um, bringing it to our level, wasn't it? Yeah. It wasn't textbook. It was kind of like we would give a scenario, okay, so tell me what you said. And it was a lot of reflective work, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And it was and it was exploring our emotions, our feelings, because me and me and uh, we we both felt that we wasn't doing things right. Yes. And the psychologist kept reminding us, "This is this is a year into into your journey. You aren't going to get it right straight away. You aren't going to be the perfect parent straight away. You have never been parents before. You've gone from naught to one hundred and twenty miles an hour during a pandemic." So you are going to doubt yourself, and it kind of gave us lots of strategies, lots of lots of things to think about, didn't it? And it also made made us aware of the importance of having time for us as well. So one of the meetings we had, I never forget it. We told our psychologist we actually got um, nanny round to babysit, and we went out for a meal. And that was the high. That was the main focus of the entire session is how that made us because we got to get out of the environment. It, it was good. It sounds like it was really um, that it gave you a lot of confidence as well, in that good enough is good enough. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and, and there was one. Um, I remember one conversation about. So we we sometimes, not sometimes, most days have a problem getting our son to have his breakfast. Yes. And in my head, I'd got this: a good parent uh, makes sure their child has a good breakfast and goes to school. And and it was like, just get over that. If he's not going to eat it, then go to school without it. Put something in his bag and he can eat it when he's hungry. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because as you were saying, you wouldn't eat his breakfast because, like, I've got three kids and, you know, they're heading all of them towards their teens now. And as soon as you said he wouldn't eat his breakfast, I was like, well, just leave him there. You know, <laughs> because yeah. I guess you do lower your standards as time goes on a bit. <laughs> yeah. It was that, It was that. you know, I, I felt like I was failing as a parent because I wasn't giving him breakfast, but actually it, that was just setting us up for an argument at the start of the day that yes. we didn't need to have. Because yes. it, it was one of those things, wasn't it? During the course, that, you know, you think this is what you have to do to be the perfect parent. You have to be doing this, you have to be doing that. And actually, as the as the years gone on, we've kind of settled back now. Whereas before, we was oh no, you need to do this because we're going to have people judge us, and you know, it, we was doing everything. But actually, the the psychologist was like, you're picking your wrong battles. There, there's a time and a place, you know. And having an argument over breakfast at seven o'clock in the morning, really. Do you know what? That's one of the things that I feel quite strongly about as a parent is that pick your battles because otherwise life is this constant warfare and it's sometimes hard to let something go. But, you know, if it is pick your top three things that you care about and let some of the other ones go, everything just comes down a level in terms of the temperature and the intensity and you can start to have a bit of fun again in the gaps. But it is hard to let go of stuff. But I just think it's such a valuable lesson if you can do it. It is because because you're kind of you realise. I mean, we 
as the years gone on, we we've received documentations about, about our kids, about about things we never knew about their past. And when we read when we read them, and you know, sometimes you'll see we'll we'll look at our boy and think oh, he's been an absolute so and so today. And then we reflect on the later life letter that we recently received, and it's like, do you know what? Cut cut the kid cut the kid some slack. Yeah, you know, he's had a really rough start, and. You know, yes, we want to be brilliant parents, but we realise that sometimes parents make mistakes as well. And it's we're, we're learning from our mistakes and our boy learns from our mistakes. Our daughter, she's just a whole nother level. But <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just like we, we've kind of rather than wanting to be the Mary Poppins of parents world, we're now kind of like just as long as they're not hurting themselves and as long as they stick to the boundaries and as long as they know what that always going to be safe we're just letting the reins go now whereas before we was putting them in a bubble wrap all the time and i think part of that was the fact that we we we've, we had the social workers no looking over our shoulders mm. for a long time. yeah yeah it was it was almost a year from placement to final court mm. hearing but maybe sort of three weeks shy of a year so it it was you'd always got that sitting on your shoulder as well. Mm. Yeah, I remember that that feeling of not only are you experiencing it, but later you're explaining it, and that's really hard not to subject yourself to immense scrutiny because you know that on the next visit you're going to have to talk about you know the the child's fallen over and got a bruise or whatever it is, and kind of explain yourself a bit. And it's fine, and I know it's supportive and it's meant to be supportive, but sometimes almost as it's happening you've got that voice on your shoulder of well how did it happen well what could have been done differently and stuff and it it is really hard when that voice is going in your head at the same time and the first time your child sort of skins their knee and there's nobody that you have to report it to it's oh we can just put a plaster on and now it's dealt with there we go that's great I mean I'm overstating it a little bit but I remember that scrutiny really clearly but also there's that piece Tori if if you if you ring up 111 or you have to go to A and E before you you've gone through the legal adoption. That they're, they're a looked after child. Yeah. They have to be safeguarded, even though they're where they should be and they're safe. And the safeguarding report has to be done. And and it's and I, you you've always said this, haven't you? Yes, yeah, it's, it's I I I found it was the most frustrating thing when because I don't know whether we mentioned it in our previous podcast. We actually went to A and E on day three of our daughter we, we we broke our daughter on day three that is impressive like, work that was yeah fast. yeah yeah and I, I had to take her to A&E and it was going to A&E and you do feel really strange because you're trying to whisper to the receptionist you know I'm 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 because I, I we we don't want our children to feel any different about themselves mm. um so you know they know they're adopted but we don't like sticking a big label on their chest so I'm trying to be quiet in in any saying you know these these are looked after children that they're being adopted and like what what yes and use the yeah. birth name yeah the birth name and my children you know just hate their their birth surname and it was like I thought I'm this surname now and it, and it just brings it up that I mean the day that we finally got the legal custody of them my first email was not to any friends or family, was straight to social services saying, can you please take them off the at-risk register now? I want that gone. Yeah, I, I understand that. It is really hard. And you're also, 
not allowed to make all the decisions in that sort of medical situation because the child isn't legally yours. So straight away, they're on the phone to the local authority that the child's from, and they're making those decisions with the local authority because that you're in that weird limbo where you don't have the status yet of a parent. And it's really difficult because you sort of feel, well, I'm here, I'm mopping up the tears, I'm, I'm looking after this child, but actually, you know, when the doctor wanders over and says, okay, it's been agreed with the local authority that this is the path that we're going to go, it's quite alienating, I think, in that yeah. moment. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right, you're in that weird limbo. And, and there's not, there's not really, it doesn't feel like there's a, a title for what you actually are at that no. point. Because you're not foster carers, you're not the parents, you're in that mm-hmm. weird prospective adopters mm. thing. Yeah, and it's quite a long time. You know, it's three months at minimum, isn't it, with then the application going in. So you can be in that limbo for quite a little while where you just don't have that authority that a parent has. It's really, really odd. I remember that. Um, but for us, though, it was even more exaggerated because we was in a pandemic. So although we sent our applications off as soon as we could due to pandemic and lockdowns and open-ups and lockdowns and open-ups and people having parties in back gardens. You know, our court proceedings was delayed, so that that was an extra well, it, pressure. Yeah, it started with they sent the paperwork back three times because there was minor errors on the way oh. the birth mother's name was written because it was written different on both children's birth certificates oh right okay so one it was maiden name now known as married name and on the other it was married name formerly maiden name and because it you know i hadn't written it exactly as it appeared on the birth certificate that got sent back and back. There's a word for the checkers, but we can't say it on this podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> say all sorts on this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, so so these sort of odd administrative loops that you can find yourself in as well. Yeah. And, and then we got us, well, we didn't get ourselves in the situation, but the birth parents decided to apply to contest. Because it was two men that was adopted. Partially, that was one of their reasons, yeah. Okay. And so there were two hearings about that, which we weren't allowed to go to, which was really tough as well, because you know that people are in a room talking about the fate of your children and, <coughs> and you're not allowed to be there. So that was really tough. We yeah, we because again, that that's one. a case between the local authority and the birth parents, isn't it? And so, yeah. again, although you have a very high stake in it, you are also nobody in it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really tough. You're sort of waiting for a phone call at the end. Gosh, how long did all of that take? We started making the applications in the January and then it finally got approved in July. So our final court hearing was six minutes <laughs> um, in July. Um, and we were allowed to go to that one. <laughs> but it, it was it was one of those things that just, just we were just waiting for it and waiting for it. It was a blink and you miss it, really. Yeah, but then we've still been in that, the, the, the social worker for the children was then off sick. So she still, and we are almost six months post that, mm. has not been and done a final visit. And we're at the point where actually we're not sure we're going to let her do a final visit. Yes, it could um, be destabilising, I guess. Yeah, mm. but but so so we haven't had the life story books. We've had later life letters. We haven't had life story books. And so we've still got that 
hanging on there. Yeah. And so given all of that um, procedural delay and bumpiness, how how are things at home? You know, how have the kids been? How has it been growing into that parenting role? Do you know, I, I think that there's one thing that made a huge difference. And, and it wasn't that, that the kids weren't settled because they are. And it's interesting, as I sit here talking to you, there are pictures of the kids on the wall that we had in a photo session that just bring a smile to my face as we're talking. But the courts aren't currently doing celebration days. Right. So so we did our own. Oh, that's nice. What did you do? So we, we got the, the local town hall, yeah. um, which is a really lovely building. Um, yes. it's, it's not quite, it's not a sterile town hall. Yeah. Um, and we had a celebrant. And we had a ceremony. We had about thirty people there, including the head teacher at school, our family, the um, mayor, the mayor. Oh wow! <laughs> what a lovely had, idea! Yeah. And 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 we had this. We had a sand blending ceremony because it was symbolic. All, you know, all the four of us poured the sand into the into a, another receptacle. Oh, that's like what? So you each had some sand, and you all put it into one thing. Yeah, yeah. and so we, we've so we've we've sort of got each got a color in our yes. family. Yeah. Um, Unsurprisingly, our son's blue and daughter's pink, and mm. then we're um, orange and purple because those are the colours we used when we got married. So we poured that into this receptacle that symbolised us coming together, oh. um, and and then we had some food afterwards. So, and it was it was really lovely, and that feel it feels like that grounded the whole family to some degree. It was and it was interesting because there were some other adoptive um, friends, adopted friends. Um, who actually we met through through New Family Social, some of them, who were there as well. And they said it was far far better than their celebration <laughs> event um, in, in the court because that yeah. was sort of a handshake and photograph and gone. But it was it was really nice to do. And it wasn't particularly expensive, was it? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't expensive. And I think it was something we, need, we needed to do for our children because they, they needed something because in the back of their mind, they still had the... When are we going to be moved on? Yes. When when a social service is going to come knocking on the door, and we needed to do it not only for us as a family, but more importantly, we needed to do it for them to finally shut that door on their doubt, um, that this isn't their forever home, and and now we've closed that door. We we you know like any fat we are a typical normal family now. We have good days, we have bad days. We have days when they're screaming in the back of the car and both and both of us are in the front with steam coming out of our ears thinking, <laughs> will you just be quiet? So we, we are a typical normal family now. We yeah, have the interruptions at two o'clock at night and one o'clock in the morning when our daughter wants to have a huggle. Yes. So, yeah, we're, we're a normal family now. That is lovely. On those car journeys, my kids still talk about the in quotes the day tour had a nervous breakdown in a lay by, so, <laughs> and it was plumbing them. It was the three of them across the back seat going just on and on and on and on, and yeah, I mean, you know, it's not a bad summary of what later took place, <laughs> but you know, that's parenthood, isn't it? Um, and yeah, the middle of the night stuff as well never seems to stop, does it? Never, never an unbroken night ever, ever again. But for you know, when when you have a four year old girl with hair out sticking out like Medusa standing at the end of your bed, with a, <laughs> holding a teddy bear by its foot, and then 
screaming daddy or papa at you to wake you up. See, that's nice. I say she looks like Chucky when she's standing at the end of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> scares the bejesus out of me. <laughs> oh, bloody kids. Yeah. So, um, so it sounds like, you know, that's all normal sort of parenting stuff. Are there any challenges that you face that you think are specifically because of how your family was formed or how it's made up or anything like that? Or do you think that it's just parenting stuff now? I think there there are still challenges there. So so our son has a bit of a need to control, mm-hmm. which we think comes from his previous life experiences. Food is still a bit of a a thing for both of them, but the the, the control thing they've they've actually both got a bit of that control thing in mm. them, haven't they? Um, yeah. And and so so sort of home life is predominantly normal, I would say. You know, we we have things. There's issues around shiny things, which we still don't understand. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, it, even to the extent we brought us on a new water bottle, when you take the lid off, it's silver and Ooh. shiny and cold. You won't touch it now. He'll he'll recoil from keys and and things, and that and the, but that sort of ebbs and flows. So there is there are still things in their past that we don't fully understand and know. Yes. We, we have to sometimes go to the dark places in those conversations, mm. and that's one of the things we learned with the psychologist was it's it's so it's not not just to leave it at you must feel terrible or you must feel frustrated, but try and explore it a bit. And often they don't want to go there and talk mm. about it, but sometimes they do, and you can unlock something. I think the other thing as well is where our kids settled really, really well after. A short period of time, even though we had a very bumpy start. Sometimes um, the school and family forgets that they 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 they're adopted children, and sometimes, you know, I, I've had the had to go to the headmaster's office because my boy's done something, and I'm sitting in this little chair in the headmaster's office, thinking, "Oh my god, you know, my life is dying. I'm I'm sat in a headmaster's office." But when you listen to the story and what the headmaster, the head teachers are saying, you then have to look at them and go, actually, have you thought it's because of this? And, and the, the school sometimes forget because, he, because he's so popular at school and our daughter's so popular, they forget that they've had a really tricky past. And you sometimes have to just remind people because when they say, oh, you know, why, why is he behaving like that? Well, it's because that's changed or this has happened or and it was unexpected so he's done the fight or flight oh god yeah we've completely forgot so you where where our kids have settled so much sometimes you do have to sometimes remind people that when they do have a bad day it's not because they're little sods yes it's because there's been a trigger Stuart has done a lot of work at school about going through the adoptive journey, what it's like to be an adoptive parent, all the work you have to go through. And when, after a year, we recently looked at photos of our children on day one when they moved in, and you could see the sheer fear in their face. They was tired, they looked drained, they looked absolutely petrified, stuff that we didn't actually see when they moved in. And now we look at photos of them, and you would not know that they that they've been adopted, would you? They they just well, they're our babies. 
Yeah, we've got old photos that were my favourite at the time. They were the ones that we sent to family and stuff saying, look at this lovely photo, you know. And when I look back now, they're almost chilling because he just looks frozen. Just, you know, they're, they're quite unpleasant now to look at. And it's one of those lessons that I think probably we all learn with hindsight. But it's one of those things that I would say to people who are starting is that they are so traumatized when they move to you. And Ooh. it's really hard to see it. You know, you read like, you know, oh, that's fun. And they're smiling and they're enjoying that and things. But later, when you know them better, you just see how shallow that was. You know, it's it's quite hard, I think, to look back on those. And, and I, I think part of our, our challenge with school was because we they were placed in August. And, and we'd done a lot of work on school and we'd had an argument with, with the virtual schools because they didn't want us to use the school that we wanted to use because it was in requires improvement. And But then the head had changed and we knew it was the right school so we had we had to fight our corner before the kids were even with us and it's proved to be the right decision mm. and and every every educational professional who's been involved with the kids has said you really fought the right fight there but you know because they as i say they joined us in august we had three weeks before they went to school yes we made the big mistake in hindsight of because food is a trigger, we sent them in for lunch on the first day. And frankly, you put me in a room with 120 screaming kids and expect me to sit down and eat lunch, and it's not going to happen. So why we expected a five-year-old to do that, I don't know. But all of us had come up with that remarkably sensible <laughs> plan. <laughs> but but then, because of, of COVID, it, He'd not really been in school. Mostly the challenges have been with our son. But it's it's one of those where we just have to keep the communication open and have the discussions with school. We've had, we have a, an EHCP for our son, which is around his emotional needs, because he, he does need support. We, we've had conversations with the educational psychologist and school about, sometimes we have to accept, going back to Pace, you have to accept he can't be in the classroom that day. Yes. And it might be that he needs to work outside the classroom. It might be that he needs to be in the library or somewhere else, but it might be too noisy. And and so we've been, we've been getting there. And, and as Simon says, you know, I've been in and I've done a session on adoption and trauma. And you know, I'm not an expert, but I've been in and talked to the teaching staff about it. I've done another session with all of the teaching assistants who are managing one-to-ones about it and we're, we're in like constant communication and and our head teacher is brilliant because Ooh. he he will ring us up on a sunday and say you know i've, I've just heard that your son's ta is going to be off self-isolating next week so this is my plan for the next few days are you okay with that that's really good you know and and, and they absolutely care about the kids and 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 work with us they just sometimes forget, and it's actually easier to forget with our daughter. Mm. You know, a, a few months ago, actually, she stole um, a second banana at snack time. Yes, and it banana was, gate. Yeah, it was banana gate. It was like <laughs> she didn't ask, and and there's potassium in it, and she might not be very well. And like Simon is a nurse and understands all of this stuff. I understand all this stuff, but. She was hungry. She needed food. She went and got food. Yes. So, so, but 
but it's really easy to forget with her because she presents as if she's not affected, but she is sometimes. We we had a, um, a, a time when it was parents' evening, and so school were talking about the fact that it was parents' evening, and she came home in a fluster because it was like, are my birth parents going to be there? Oh, gosh, yeah. And, and, and we also have those triggers around mm. Mother's Day, you know, and, and so on. And But conversely, school nativity, which was outside in the cold this year because of COVID, but you know, our son, who hadn't hadn't been able to participate in any of the rehearsals, decided on the day he was going to be in it. Oh, wow. What, what did he decide to be? Oh, it, it was just the singing. Each class was singing a song. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was embarrassing to all. We, we, we did the I'm not going to be our mothers when we went to this nativity. We wasn't <laughs> going to do what our mothers did. And when we saw our boy coming out, because we knew being in front of a big crowd is such a massive trauma for him, when he got up on that stage... Well, actually, I don't think he actually managed it on the stage before we started crying our eyes out, <laughs> going, that's my boy. Then we saw our girl coming out, and then we was doing what every parent does, which was, which used to feel me dread. We're then in the middle trying to, I'm, I mean, I don't know why I'm doing it now. I'm waving it as I'm talking to you. <laughs> We're literally waving at them, and our boy's waving, and it was just, it was, it was one, it was the first, and I think that's something... Um, your listeners shouldn't underestimate as well. First, uh, you know, even doesn't matter how long your children have been with us. Anytime there's a first of something, is for our kids is always quite challenging. So, although they was with us last Christmas, this was the first time we got to see them in a nativity. So that was a big thing for them. We we've had we've done all the birthdays. We've even had a family death. You know, my dad passed away, so it was that first sense of loss as a family member. So, and and then as as time goes, we we build on that. Yeah. So, so our first holiday was a little bit tricky. Let's say the second one was a lot better, and then our third one, we sound like we're always on holiday. But mm. Our we, third one was a trauma for us, really. Wasn't yeah, it? it was a trauma for us because yeah. it was somewhere we wouldn't it was normally a dump. have gone. <laughs> <laughs> the kids loved it. Um, kids loved it, but for us, it was a dump. Um, but, but you know, as we've done all of those things and progressed there, then then, then we, we're doing the things that we like to do as yeah. a family, and and we're getting out and being able to do things now, which is really. I, I think everything we do now is purely as a family. I mean, we our our previous holiday used to be touring Asia, going on cruises you know, seeing the world. And we've done a Butlins this year. Normally the word <laughs> Butlins on my lips is like, I need adrenaline because I'm having an anaphylactic shock. But we went there and the kids absolutely loved it. And we're going back, but next year, normal services resume and we're back on the cruise ships with the kids. We're going to give them loads of sugar because the cabin we have comes with its own sort of like private guest pool. So we're going to give them loads of sugar. So they go up there, cause so much havoc that all the other guests leave. <laughs> this is a good plan. I like so it. We have the pool to ourselves. And it's just, yeah. <laughs> but no, I think in, in the year we've had, we've had highs, we've had lows, we've had ups, we've had downs, but our kids are just so different from when they moved in and they are just, they are just brilliant, aren't they? Yeah, brilliant. Fantastic. Oh, well, good for you both. And I'm so, so glad that you came back to update us. And maybe we could do this again sometime if you wouldn't both mind. 
Yeah, that would be lovely. What's a date? You see, you're committed now. (laughs) I'd like to thank my guests today, Stuart and Simon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBTAdoptFoster and on Facebook, search New Family Social, all one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next week with more guests and more tea.